0: Well, good morning. Happy Thanksgiving weekend. Do you guys get enough food this weekend? We got some good food, right? How many of you still have leftovers? Open invitation to lunch. Did you guys see who around you who had their hands up? You're invited over. It's a community. It's something we're doing today, okay? Free invitation. Well, uh, if you're anything like me, you love college football. And so this past weekend was an incredible weekend for some of us, okay? Not all of us, but some of us. And uh, every weekend, or, uh, Sunday, Monday, I've started finding myself, ESPN, some of you are familiar with us, puts out sad fans of the week. And so I have a little clip I want to kind of share with you a little bit. If you haven't seen this, this will make your week. I mean, listen to the music. This is the music that goes right along with it. Is this not amazing? And if you are a sports fan or you live with a sports fan, you have seen this on your couch. Yeah, this is great. Okay, all right. So, we could watch those all day. You're like, I'm not going to hear a thing you said. I'm getting on my phone and watching now. That's fine. It's cool. Well, uh, I get the sad fans. I'm a Michigan fan. Yeah. So, so, oh, don't do that. I'll pray for you, people around you could just help you, just, there's a prayer room out here, you could just go and keep going, and, and I grew up as a Bengals fan, <laughs> you, you totally get this, and so you're like, yeah, have you ever had a, a, a fun watching sports? No. My wife sits around watching watched me yesterday, and she's like, you're making me uncomfortable. I'm like, Why? Sports, but we like, we get it, we live it, it's, it's hard being a sports fan, like our hopes rise and fall on our team, and, and it's, it's just difficult to watch sometimes, sometimes you're at the highest of highs, and then many times you're at the lowest of lows, and what is our statement, it's, oh, next year, we'll be good, next year, we'll get this, or we'll have this, or this person, or this person, next year comes, it's just more of the same. So, being a fan is hard. Holding on to hope during a sports season almost seems impossible. It seems to go just as quickly as it came. But finding and holding on to real hope, the kind of hope we've been talking about for the last month, well, that's a little bit difficult. I mean, a lot of times we think of hope as just wishful thinking. Wishful thinking. And that's where we leave it. But what if there were more? So this week I sat down with the dictionary and went to Webster's to look for the definition of hope. And this is what I found. It says, hope is to desire with expectation of obtainment or fulfillment. To expect with confidence. Now I love this word expectation. To expect confidence like that's something we could get behind that's got legs but let's be honest the brokenness of our world has really kind of shifted our perspective from my god can is will doing all kinds of good and great things in our world in my life in my future to where is god is God doing anything right now? Is, is, is there any reason for hope out there? We've lost all hope in humanity. Insert your lost hope saying here. That's kind of where our perspective is going. Now, I know some of you are thinking hope is for those who want to get hurt. Like when I get my hopes up, I get hurt. And so I won't let my hopes up so that I don't get hurt because if I keep my guard up, I don't get wounded. So I'm not going to go for this hope thing anymore. And many of you are calloused by what life has thrown your way. And rightly so. Life is hard sometimes. I mean, there's some of you that are going through broken marriages where intimacy is lost. There's no more trust. It's fighting. Or your life is completely flipped upside down. It is a mess. Some of you feel like God has forgotten you. He just forgot about me. He's dealing with other people who seem to be maybe a little bit more important than I am. And to be honest, I can relate to that one quite a bit. And in the wreckage of our brokenness and our broken world, we have completely justified adopting a hopeless view of our life, of our world. Some of us call it realism. And so if hope is actually Supposed to be living in a state of expectation. And for our purposes today, it's living in the expectation that God will do something in my life. Well, how do I get that and how do I hang on to it? That's what I really want to know. And now, to be honest, you would probably expect a pastor has a good grasp on this one. Wrong. This is something I have to battle for on a daily basis. Hope doesn't just come easy for me. So to be honest with you, to let you know where we're going to, this is not going to be warm fuzzies or over-spiritualized talk. This might be a little bit raw, but we're going to get down to business. We're going to unpack the rest of Nehemiah. We're going to lay it over our lives, and then we're going to get very, very practical about how to do this. And so if you've been with us for the past month, or maybe you're just starting with us, let me give you a brief synopsis of where where we have been and where we're going to be today. The book of Nehemiah, all the way back at the beginning, Nehemiah comes to Jerusalem to be with his people to rebuild the city. There's a lot of backstory, but we're speed reading through this. The people are broken, they're lost, they're purposeless, they're scared, they're defeated. Nehemiah shows up rallies the troops, starts rebuilding the walls. They've been through uh, threats. They've been through discouragement. They've had at times where they have held a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other hand, all to rebuild their city. This took years to rebuild. Now, where we pick up the story today, the walls are rebuilt. The city has been restored. Movement number one is Reflect. Right at the beginning of chapter 8 in Nehemiah, Ezra, Nehemiah's right-hand guy, gets up and reads from the Word of God. He reads for six hours. You thought our church services were long. <laughs> six hours, and they stood the entire time. They stood. And what Nehemiah read was reading what God had done for the people. They were recounting the history of what God had done And here's what I love. Moving forward in verse 12 of chapter 8, they got it. It says, Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. They went away to celebrate Because they now understood what had been done for them over the course of history. They got it. It was like boom. Because reflection births celebration. When you begin to reflect on what God has done, you begin to celebrate what God has done. It's a natural byproduct. And so... They went on to celebrate everything from creation to Abraham to uh, Egypt, the Red Sea, the Promised Land, and so on. They just celebrated all these amazing things that God had done in the life of their people. Then they moved on to the second movement. Respond. They responded. Right at the beginning of chapter 9 in Nehemiah, the people begin to confess. They spend hours confessing. They confessed what they had done wrong, they confessed where they had they were guilty, they confessed their need for God. They just began to confess, and this went on for a long time. Now, fast forward to chapter 10. They begin to commit This is what it says. It says all these, all the people, the same people that have read, the same people that listened, the same people that have celebrated, all these now join their fellow Israelites, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our Lord. They were so serious about their commitment that they... Set an oath and a curse so that they might commit themselves to what God had done and to say, hey, we recognize you've done great things, you will do great things, and we want to align our lives with that. Hope restored, city healed, on their way. So fast forward, Nehemiah goes ahead and returns to his original job. He'd been there around 12 years at this point, goes back to his job. And how quickly we forget. Time goes forward, some years go by, Nehemiah comes back and the people have returned to the way they were before he first showed up. They're beginning to start the cycle of the Old Testament over there, which was rebellion, slavery, crying out, deliverance, peace, forgetfulness. Now, if you remember back to the beginning of Nehemiah, they were in slavery crying out mode. Nehemiah shows up, they experience deliverance. The wall is built, they experience peace, and now they're into this cycle of forgetfulness. So Nehemiah shows up and he sees the priests are doing things in the temple that they shouldn't be, and the people are doing things that they shouldn't be. And so what does he do? He loses his mind. He goes a little bit crazy. He throws people out of the temple. He yells at people. And ultimately, he rights the ship and brings the people back on track. So I know that many of you in the room are probably where I am because this is the way I think. So I assume everyone does. So we get to the end of the story and we go, How could they just forget all that God had done for them and brought them through and turn their back on him? Like, how could they do that? They've seen so many things, and God has done so much. How could they turn their back? Because if I were them, right, this is what we do. We're good at this. We're great at this. I would, and this is the words we use, I would never just turn my back on God if, emphasis on these words, if he had done those things in my life. I would never turn my back on God if he did those things. I would always live in a hopeful state of expectation. And then I would shine my halo. But that's the way we think sometimes, and that's easy to think that at the end of this story, but let's take those same things and lay them over our own lives. Let's ask some questions. What does your hope look like right now? Wishful thinking or state of expectation of what God will do. I mean, where do you go for hope? I mean, do you even have hope at all? And what are your expectations of God, if anything at this point? So, back to reflect. Remembering and celebrating matter because these are foundational for living out hope. Apart from them, you will spiral. Now, Go back to Psalm, the writer of Psalms takes the people back and reminds us, he says this in Psalm 106, he says, when our ancestors were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles, to God's miracles, they did not remember your many kindnesses and they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his namesake to make his mighty power known. Hey, I'm reminding you. Hey, you forgot, but I'll remind you. But they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his plan to unfold. Now, take this last sentence here. This is 106, verse 13, and compare that to your own life. Let's just take an honest evaluation because if we're honest, I would say this summarizes most of my life. God, I I don't know. Your timing isn't my timing, so I'm going to go ahead and do my thing, and we'll see what happens. Because really, here's what happens. Lack of reflection leads to forgetfulness. It's spiritual amnesia, really. Parents, you get this. You sit down. You talk to your kid. Hey, I need you to go do this. They look you in the eye like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ten minutes later, you come back. They're still sitting on the couch staring at the TV with their mouth open hey, did you do that? What? Uh, uh, or they'll disappear upstairs for 20 minutes, and you think it got done, they come back downstairs. Hey, did you get your room clean? Uh, what, well, I don't remember you telling me that. Why do I even bother, right? But we're very good at this when it comes to God. We just go like, ah, whatever. God, too much time has passed. I don't remember what you did. But here's what happens. Forgetfulness then leads To hopelessness. You see how that works? Lack of reflection leads to forgetfulness. Forgetfulness leads to hopelessness. You'll find yourself with fear, anxiety, and negativity. I mean, you just watch the news and you want to curl up in a ball in fear of going, I don't want to go outside. I don't want to see another human. There's no point. I'm not doing that. Right? It causes us basically to focus on our circumstances. And here's what this comes down to. Negativity will steal your hope. They cannot coexist. You cannot have one and expect to have the other. That leads into isolation. No one understands me. No one gets me, so I'm just going to keep to myself. And then often that leads to, I feel forgotten, because a forgetful person will eventually feel forgotten by God and by others. It's just a natural byproduct. When I start to forget, then I believe everyone else has forgotten. They've forgotten about me. God's forgotten about me, and and so on. It just spirals. Then that leads to independence because at the end of the day, I go, well, if they don't need me, I don't need them. And so I go my own way. And to be honest, I excel at this. I'm really good at going my own. Real good. Real good. To the point that God and I have made a deal. He was willing to give me this deal. And some of you may have gotten this. And if you haven't, let me extend it to you as well. It says this, God gave me a thing. I'll let you do whatever you want. Whatever you want. And then I'll let you fall on your face. I will allow you that. God has allowed me the ability to fall flat on my face. And I'm so thankful. Because I've made a fool of myself many a times by just trying to be independent and doing it my own way, neglecting things and ultimately laying myself in a point of doing something stupid. I mean, are you with me? Has anybody else done this? You want to be honest? Like, we've done this. It probably feels a little bit close to home. But here's the bottom line. If I don't reflect on what God has done, I won't trust him with my future. If I don't reflect on what God has done in my life, I will not trust him with my future. It's not going to happen. Because I have no expectation of what God will do because I have no frame of reference as to what God has done. You've got to have one in order to have the other. Let's move forward. Respond. One of the first things that begins to happen in our lives when we get close to God and we begin to reflect and we begin to celebrate and it's God in us is we become abundantly aware of our position with God. Like what's off? What's out of line? Just like the Israelites all of a sudden realized we got some stuff to confess. We need to admit some wrongdoings, some areas that we have need. we got to admit. So I found it fitting that it would be very good in this moment that if you would just turn to your neighbor, confess your last three sins, and we'll move on. Go ahead. I'll give you a moment. Just do that. Nobody? Not going to do that? But the reality is when I say confess, you go, no, I'm not doing that. But what I'm not after you standing up and screaming out your most recent sin. That's not what I'm talking about here. Here's what I'm talking about. Admit where you've forgotten. Admit where you're in need. Admit where you've gone wrong. Admit that you don't trust God. Just admit, start somewhere. Because these are the very things that will suffocate hope out of your lives James 4.10 says it really well. He says this, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. God isn't saying, get down so that I can stand on you. He's saying, admit, humble yourselves. Let's get this stuff out there so that I can lift you up so that you can have hope. Because if you walk around carrying it, you're not going to experience it. So do you need a place to start? I encourage you to pray this prayer. It's this, you are God and I am not. Start there. Because you will be surprised at what prayers begin to birth from saying this prayer. You are God, I am not. I am not the manufacturer of my hope. I cannot do it. Because apart from you, there is no hope. So the second part of the respond is commit. As you begin to confess and as you begin to pray this prayer, you'll start growing in your awareness of the areas in which you need to commit. What are the areas I need to act? A few weeks ago, Shane really dove into this idea of action. If you haven't seen it or you need a refresher, I encourage you to watch it online to catch back up with that. But here it is. You cannot expect to find hope unless you're willing to look for it. You're, you're not going to find it. James 4a, James goes on, he says this, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now notice, action, come near, wash, purify. Now I'm not saying you got to go and get everything right before you can come to God, but I'm saying you've got to come. You've got to take that step. Jesus even says through the Gospels, ask, seek, knock. They're all action based words. Jesus says, take action and I will meet you in those actions. You've got to do something. This isn't about earning. This is about opening yourself up to what God might do in your life. Now, here's a step I want to add. It's this. Repeat. Repeat. Now, this is a biblical precedent set generations Ago. Moses instated the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, and it was a prayer, and the prayer had two movements, reflect and respond. And then he instituted morning and night on repeat so that the people would hand down over generations what God had done in their lives and how to act in response to that so that hope might grow and be passed on and that people might continue to live in it. So let's make this really, really practical. Reflect. This week, tomorrow, today, in fact, you can do this. Go home and write down five things that you are thankful for, that you want to say, God has done these five things in my life. I'm not looking for huge or monumental. I'm thinking, let's start basic. If you're married, thank God for your spouse, parents, Kids, by name. I'll even give you the names. If you have 12 kids, you're going to have a couple days taken care of, okay? Let's just start. Let's begin to reflect on our own lives. Let's make it personal. What would it look like to start doing every single day, to start the day going, God, thank you for what you've done in these five ways. Second thing, read. Read. Open up God's word and see what He has to say. Reflect on what He says. If you don't know where to start, use the crossing app. We have our notes, and all the scriptures from today are there. Just read those. Start this week. Or use the U version app and pick a Bible reading plan. They'll guide you. Just read. Respond. Go back to that confess part and pray that prayer. You are God, I am not. You are God. And I am not. And so what will then start happening is the commit will come into clear focus. You will start to realize some of you need to stop doing things. And some of you need to start doing things. Or maybe both. But we have to start somewhere. And this is my challenge. Let's do this for one week. One week where we respond, reflect, and repeat and see what God would do at that time. I'm not saying we're going to go test God or we're going to put God on the clock or anything like that. And if you're not a Christ follower and you're going, I don't know about this Jesus thing or I don't know, let me ask you to do this. I know it's a huge ask, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Would you be willing to live one week acting as though God were real? One week. And see what you learn and experience in that week what will emerge for all of us? What next steps will emerge? Where will hope begin to reveal itself? Because all of this comes down to this thing. It's this living in the awareness of what God has done will sustain hope. If you want hope, if you want to live in that place of confident expectation, then you have to live in the awareness of what God has done in your life. Not in what someone else's life, in your life. Because believe it or not, he has done something. And this week, my challenge to you is that you would begin to acknowledge it, recognize it, see it. Because apart from Jesus, there is no hope. It's only wishful thinking. So over the past couple months, I've put, began to put this thing into practice for myself, really kind of out of the wisdom of some very wise people around me who said, hey, you need to practice this because it always seems to happen. Every time I'm up here, it's me unpacking for you something that I am going through myself. And so this is what I've done. And so I started to realize just that, hey, you know what? God has done some things in my life that I wasn't giving him credit for. There are some prayers that he began to answer and just some really incredible things that have happened in my life that I go, wait a second. Okay, God is doing something. Maybe he's not answering this one big prayer that I have that I want to keep praying, but you know what? He's still in the business of doing things in my relationships, in my kids' lives, in the people around us. I'm seeing those things incrementally change. And it's only because somebody told me to stop and reflect and remember and grow in my awareness of what God was doing. Here's what you will experience. You will experience that God does not hate you, but in fact loves you. You will experience that God has not forgotten you That God is, in fact, answering your prayers, even if it's not in your timing or your way. You will experience that God is redeeming the darkness. He is restoring marriages, relationships, and health. That God is still active and present because you will begin to recognize him. And if you keep looking, you will find a God that entered the very grave and dungeon of hopelessness in Jesus Christ and three days later shattered the door. That is hope rising. Because hope didn't just rise. Hope continues to rise. Our invitation in Jesus is that we would continue to live in that awareness that we might know who God is and what he has done in our lives and continue to live in hope. So this week, collectively, let us dig in and reflect, respond, and repeat and live in an ever-growing hope. An anticipation, an expectation of what God might do in our lives. God is still in the business of life change. We celebrated it today. He wants that for us. So reflect, respond, and repeat. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you for the fact that we get to come and gather and be reminded of who you are. And Jesus, it's not easy sometimes to do life. It's not easy because life fills us curveballs. Life is hard. It hurts sometimes. We'd rather not go through that pain. And God, it's easy to lose sight of hope. It's, unfortunately, it's easy to forget sometimes. So, God, this week I ask that you would give us a clear mind to be mindful of who you are, to be mindful of what you're doing. God, that you would bind the enemy from us, that we would be able to engage with you, that, God, we might take a risk this week and expose ourselves to who you are and what you might do in our lives and that you might meet us there. Give us clarity this week. Help us to see you. Help us to find hope. In Jesus' name, amen.